This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Willie Anderson, and you're listening to the iTest for Two. Welcome back to our holiday edition of the iTest for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. And I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're joined today, as we are each and every week, by Ian Glendon, our Hall of Fame producer. But that's not all. We're going to also be joined today by Hall of Fame semifinalist for the class of 2021, and that's cornerback Rondé Barber. And Ira, I presume you covered him for many years, so you should know him well. I do know him well, and, and we're both wondering why he just cannot make that cut from 25 to 15. Clark, hopefully, this is the year. Yes, maybe that's because you need to do a little more work there, Ira, in Tampa. <laughs> I'm trying, my friend. I'm do something trying. more than put up your Christmas tree, okay? <laughs> um, but before we get there, before we get there, I want to tell you guys, th- this is my favorite time of year, and not just because, you know, it's the holiday season and Christmas is around the corner, um, or because we're going to get we're going to get snow up here in New England. We're going to get reportedly ten to twenty inches in the next couple of days of snow. Or, or and and it's not even because the Jets are on their way to a uh, looks like a perfect season, but it's because we've got Saturday football in the NFL now. Now we had Tuesday football. We've always got Monday football, Thursday, but we have Saturday football every year. And I got to tell you guys, I I love love watching. Saturday football games. Some of my fondest memories from being uh, a teenager and then being in college with Saturday football games. It got me to thinking, uh, you know, what are your what are your favorite Saturday NFL experiences? I know about college football, but do you have any memorable Saturday game, Ira, that you you recall? I got one, Clark. I'm going to go back uh, 30 years. Um, Chiefs uh, at Miami. Chiefs had a good team. Schottenheimer was the coach. Uh, January 5th, 1991, Saturday playoff game. Chiefs are leading 16-3, Clark, after three quarters. This is against Dan Marino. Uh, And Marino does what he does. Two fourth-quarter touchdown passes. They go up 17-16. Chiefs get the ball one more time, Clark. They drive to the 20, well within field goal range of Nick Lowry. They run a play for Christian Okoye. And, Clark, they call a holding penalty on on a rookie guard named Dave Zock. And they push the ball back. And at the end, Clark, Lowry just short on a 52-yard field goal attempt. Zot was a rookie. He'll never forget that day. Clark, on a running play, very, very dubious. As an old Chiefs fan, I still remember that play. And the Shula Mystique, you know, that hold he had over those officials with the game on the line. It was alive and well that day. Chiefs lose 17-60. Well, apparently the Chiefs won't forget it. I don't think Hall of Fame voters forget it either because they didn't make Nick Lowry a semifinalist. You and I did. <laughs> this is his last year of eligibility. Ian, do you have any thoughts about uh, Saturday games? Uh, yeah, actually, I, there, there's a few fond uh, memories. I, I do enjoy them because generally it means we're close to playoff time or it is playoff time because it's always late in the right. year. It's around the holidays. Uh Thinking about the Patriots, uh, they have a few very memorable ones, and two stick out to me. I'm going to give you two. First, oh, I know uh, one of them. Yeah. First is what I like to refer to as the snow game. A lot of people <laughs> right. call it the tuck rule game, but I right. like to recall uh, call it the snow game. Uh, happened on a Saturday, uh, but this was edged out slightly by Week 17 of 2007. 16 and 0. Obviously, the season didn't end in 19 and 0, but that game against the Giants, uh, not only obviously the stakes on the line, but just the game itself was phenomenal. A back and forth, uh, the touchdown uh, pass and reception uh, record falling yep. for both Moss and Brady in that game. Obviously, going to 16 and 0, and you know, we don't like to think about what happened a couple weeks later, but hey, 16 and 0 is still a uh, fond memory. 
I'll tell you something interesting about that tuck rule game or the snow game, as you refer to <laughs> it. Uh, I covered the playoff game in Chicago earlier that day, and it was Philadelphia and the Eagles, and Philadelphia had won it. So uh, Rick Oslin, another Hall of Fame voter, and I go <laughs> back to the Marriott Hotel afterwards, and we're watching the Patriots game that evening on a big screen, and the officiating crew from the playoff game in Chicago is eating next to us. A big table, it's like a buffet table. They're mm-hmm. all there. And then Brady drops the ball, and I went, oh, game's over, Raiders win. And to a man, I think it was Wald Anderson's crew, I'll be honest with you, to a man, they go, no, it's not. We said, I'm sorry, what? They said, no, it's not. His <laughs> arm was in motion. That's a forward pass. And I said, it's no forward pass. No, they'll call it a forward pass, and they did. So for all the outrage, the officials said, you may not like the rule, but they called it right. Hey, I'm going way back farther than, than either of you two guys because uh, I guess I'm older than all of you two guys. But I, I'm going back to uh, Saturday in 1972, December 23rd, 72. I remember I was home from college and it was the Steelers and the Raiders playing that day. And I go downstairs. We we're living in Virginia to watch that game. And Steelers, are they're done. They're finished. Uh, Raiders can win a stabler with a comeback. And um so the last 10 seconds, I'm watching whatever it was, 15 seconds, and you know the deal here. Bradshaw drives back, throws the ball. All of a sudden, the camera's watching Franco Harris go down the sidelines and went, what? I mean, what is, go- what is going on here? It was the days before they had like 15 cameras in a stadium. Instant replay wasn't on it, and it was the immaculate reception. And I ran upstairs and said to my dad, you got to come down here and see this. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that again. Um, it was a great, great finish. And to this day, the Raiders claim that way. Oh, no, that was an incomplete pass. Look at the replays. It wasn't an incomplete And Clark, pass. all these years later, Clark, I believe that play is still considered it is. number one, the is. most memorable play in NFL history. You voted on it. So did I. And I voted that as my number one play. Um, I mentioned Saturday games. And so I'll morph into what we've got this Saturday. And we've got Buffalo at Denver. That's a afternoon telecast, 4.30 in the afternoon, the East Coast. And then um, uh, Carolina's playing at Green Bay. And that's an evening game, uh, 8.15 on the East Coast. And I mentioned that because I want to go to the next subject, which is our current MVP controversy and sort of a weekly MVP update. Aaron Rodgers is playing in that second game at Green Bay. And, and the pendulum seems to be swinging a little bit, ever so slightly in his direction. People consider it a two-horse race. I don't. I think it's at least a three-horse race. But Ira, you and I both vote on it. If you had to make the call right now, who do you got? You know, Clark, I'm, I'm really getting upset about this thing because I think they, they should start calling it the most valuable quarterback. I, I really do right. because it's so hard. Adrian Peterson cracked the, cracked the boys club, you know, years ago. And, and here comes Derrick Henry. Clark, I, I think this guy's legit. He's a, he's a horse. Nobody wants to tackle him. And I look at the Titans, Clark. Their defense is okay. Their quarterback is okay. Right. A.J. Brown's a pretty good receiver. But Derrick Henry's the guy, Clark. He is absolutely the guy. Without him, I think that's a six and seven football team. Yeah, probably. I mean, you saw when they have to play from behind, they can't do it because Henry's not the guy getting the ball. And if you were voting today on MVP, who would it be? Um, I look. I I think Derrick Henry needs to get all the credit in the world. To to uh, Ira's point, the Titans' defense uh, is giving up twenty eight points a game versus almost just just over 20 last year. So they've taken a huge step back. And, and who's as consistent as Derrick Henry in this league? No one. Um, but the way this award is voted on, is it's it's a quarterback-driven league. And, yeah. and the way things are going, i got to give it to Aaron Rodgers. Um, uh, Patrick Mahomes, three-interception game, didn't really help him. Obviously, they won, but it kind of brought him back to normalcy if you want to compare the two quarterbacks. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is playing, I think, with lesser weapons uh, although you can make a case that Devonte Adams is the best weapon out of the entire group between the two teams, but um, yeah, I, I right now, yeah, I don't disagree with you. And, and I, because I think Mahomes has got a zillion weapons, mm-hmm. so much so they bring Le'Veon Bell off the bench. But that's not to discredit what he's doing. I mean, he's right there with Rodgers. I'm tilting a little bit towards Ira because I think Henry's been so consistent throughout the year. And he's a one-man band back there. I realize Tannehill's having a great year and, and, and the team's doing well, but I agree with Ira. Without him, where are they? And I'd say they are just a 500 team, basically. He carries that ball club. And as I said, when they had to play from behind, remember the Cleveland game when they had to come from behind? Derrick Henry's out of the mix. Well, they lose. I mean, they lose. But if you can get on top with him, you look at what he's done, two 200-yard games, I think still, and, and nine straight 100-yard games on the road, 
I think still he has to go to another level. They, we make the bar so high for anyone but a quarterback. Ira, I think he's got to do what Adrian Peterson did in 2012. I think he has to rush for 2,000 yards, which he may or may not, but right now he's on schedule, I think, 1,880. But he's got to do that to get people's attention. Otherwise, we're going quarterback. We're going quarterback. Uh, I'm with you. It's probably going to be a quarterback. And, and Clark, let's not forget, I was at that game uh, in Baltimore last year, the playoff game, yeah. when uh, Tennessee ripped them apart. And uh, it was the Derrick Henry show in, in the first half. Built a big lead. You know? and, and Ian was watching that game in New England. Derrick Henry show. I mean, he did it to everybody. Um, okay, let's move to our last subject here. Um, and I, I go to uh, last weekend when sort of a lot happened. Um, the Steelers lost again. Uh, Buffalo uh, has asserted itself now as maybe the best number two team. Derrick Henry rushed for 200 yards again. The Jets lost again. I mean, a lot happened. Um, and then Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. But that's not my interest here. And I'm going to tilt this one towards our producer, Ira, because it's the holiday season, season of giving, right? So we'll just kick him the softball here. The Patriots, his team, they were officially eliminated from the NFC East title for the first time since 2000. AFC East. AFC East. What did I say? AFC you said NFC, yeah. Oh, AFC yeah, yeah. East, correct, yeah, right. <laughs> AFC East, they would be eliminated the NFC East, they'd be on top. <laughs> but yeah, AFC East for the first time in 11 years, that's 2008, which was the last time Tom Brady didn't finish the season as their quarterback. But I, I'm kind of curious with, with you guys, and I'll start with you, Ira, because we're in the history business. Uh, it's the end of a dynasty, I would think. You know, nine Super Bowls, um, six Lombardi trophies, 17 division titles in something like 19 years. I mean, it's astonishing. Where does this put them? I mean, now that we look like we might have a punctuation mark, an exclamation point on the end of this dynasty, where does this put the New England Patriots in the context of history? Well, I think it's unprecedented in the Super Bowl era. I mean, you got the Lombardi Packers. They won five titles, I believe, Clark. They did. Uh, and, he, and he, you know, he came into a, a more abundant organization, Lombardi. Uh, but it's unprecedented. Um, it kind of reminds me, Clark, of uh, the Sea of Hands game, uh, Miami and Oakland. Uh, the Dolphins were two-time Super Bowl champs. No reason to think they weren't going to win it in 74. And they go out to Oakland. And I still don't know how, uh, was it Charlie Smith, how, how he caught that ball. Clark, there's so many Dolphins around them. Was it, um, Dave, and, it Davis? Was it Davis who caught the ball? Uh, yeah, know. yeah, maybe Clarence Davis. Uh, Clarence Davis. And and um, I, I think that 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 put a, a you know that that put an end to the Dolphins a dynasty. Um, but that could have been a three peak. Clark could have yeah, been oh, a no, three peak. No question. No question. Yeah. And 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 yet in the 70s, I don't think so much about the Dolphins as I do the Steelers. So I look at the Steelers who has four uh, Super Bowls. But in I mean, you're you're from New England. I know you live in the Tampa Bay area now, but um, I would say you could probably admit maybe reluctantly that it's over and it's probably time mm -hmm. to start anew. How do you look back at this in the context of history? Well, I, I thought it was over the moment Brady left because, I mean, Belichick is great. Uh, at the end of the day, players play, the coaches coach. What happens on the field happens because of the players, ultimately. So, you know, I accepted that the dynasty was over when he left. And, you know, I, I'm old enough to have seen the tail end of the 49ers run, um, you know, when I was younger, but, you know, I, I was a big football fan pretty early. So I, I just look at it as something where it was lightning in a bottle. You, you get a coach and a quarterback that came together, and this this debate going back and forth about who was more important is, is silly because they, they ultimately needed each other. Belichick I, isn't Belichick without Brady. Brady isn't Brady without Belichick. So um, <clears throat> unprecedented, yeah, because, again, you, you I don't know if you're ever going to get that perfect mix. You might have smaller runs. You might have Cowboys-like runs where you win three out of four. Maybe you're uh, the top team for eight or nine years. But as impressive as that is, that still falls incredibly short to what the Patriots did. And, and look, even in their worst years, even in their rebuilding years, they were still going to AFC championship games. And, yeah, and that's look, right. that's... that's, right. that's it's, it's hard to see that replicated. A couple of things here. One is what you mentioned, Brady and Belichick. Uh, Ira, I know you're a music lover. It reminds me of last week. Remember, we had the 40-year uh, uh, anniversary of John Lennon's death. It does remind me of Lennon McCartney. Who was more important to the Beatles? Mm -hmm. Lennon McCartney. Well, it re we realized that 
they needed each other. And without each other, they weren't quite the same. And I think this is the same thing going on here. And secondly, Ira, what you said to me, I'd underscore dramatically again and again in the salary cap era. That's right. Mm -hmm. Never That's right. be anything like this in the salary cap era. It's astonishing that they could do this. Now, that said, I will throw you others that I think are similar and maybe even the equal and possibly even better. One is since Ian mentioned the, the 49ers of the 80s and 90s, you know, they win the Super Bowl in 81, 84, they come back 88, 89, 94, two different quarterbacks. Steve Young was the last at the end of it. Joe was the first four. Montana was the first four. They had a run with the exception of the 82 strike season because you couldn't play 16 games. We play, they played, what, nine or something? Nine. With yeah, the exception nine. of that, the 57-day strike. They had a run of, I think, 17 years where they had 10 or more victories, 17 consecutive years. But you look at that window, 81 through 94, they won five Super Bowls. And, and that was an extraordinary run. And then they hung on at the very end with the salary cap. But th that was a, a run that was done all with one year. And I'm talking about the Lombardi trophies, not in the salary cap. So that makes it a little bit different. And Clark, let's bring it to the present day. And, um, you know, maybe this is wishful thinking by me because uh, I'm a Chiefs fan going back to the mid 60s and the yeah. AFL days. And, and by the way, that, that rivalry, with the uh, Raiders, um, that's as good as it gets, uh, yeah, especially right. in, in the late 60s. That's as good as it gets. Right. You know, you can talk you can talk about Redskins and Cowboys and whatever you want, but it, it never got any better than, than Raiders, Chiefs, late 60s. Right. And, Clark, I'll, I'll ask you and Ian, um, with Mahomes, and Andy Reid shows no sign of uh, going off into the sunset and eating cheeseburgers, uh, Clark, um, you know, if these guys stick around for another seven or eight years together, what, what are we looking at in Kansas City? But it's not going to happen. It's a salary cap here. That doesn't happen. We said the same thing in 2010 when the Packers won. Looked at their, their team, their roster. It was loaded with young players. They were loaded. And we said, this will be the next dynasty. Well, next year they went 15-1. They lost their first round playoff game. It was a divisional champion, divisional round game to the Giants in Green Bay. And that was it. They never came back. People start going away. You can't keep a team together in a salary cap era because the quarterback gets so much money at one point and you start to fill around him. And, and you know, a guy like Kelsey could go. Hill could go. I mean, it just it just happens. That's why, Ian, I say it's extraordinary what New England's done. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. You also have to consider, too, what happens with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. How good do they become? How competitive are the Raiders? Um the Patriots were able to keep uh, a lot of that talent. I mean, what what Brady did with not necessarily taking, you know, there's this misconception that he took less. I mean, he right. did. He was just far more flexible with how they structured and how they worded his contract than most quarterbacks did. Because he, right. he was the highest paid player, I think, in 2010 and at various points throughout the career. But when it comes to cap figures, cap money, he is middle of the pack at best, maybe top 10, and that that's where it differentiates, and it allows the Patriots to be more flexible. You know, what's going to happen with Mahomes' contract in a few years, especially with yeah. how unpredictable the cap number is going to be? I don't know. But to Ira's point, I think in the immediate, there is a huge window for them to win a couple quickly. Well, oh, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think you said seven or eight years. To me, there's there's no way. I mean, I look back at Russell Wilson when they were winning mm -hmm. in 13 right. and, and 14. Well, he was a quarterback, but he's playing on a rookie contract. When you have to redo that contract, suddenly all that cap space is eaten up. Guys on the periphery who were valuable or invaluable are leaving. Other stars who say, I want more money, I want his money, they're leaving. And you look at what happened to Legion of Boom. They It left. I mean, they just, I, they left or they, they retired. I would I would say this one thing, though. I don't. Th I don't think there's a Tom Brady in the AFC to stop Patrick Mahomes. Because if you think about the Steelers in the 2000s, 2000s to 2010, how many Super Bowls they could have won if it not for the Patriots. Uh, yeah. Think about the Colts during the same time, how many Super Bowls they could have at least gone to or won in that same time. I don't see a team right now uh, that has, you know, and I say Tom Brady and obviously Bill Belichick, but they don't have Tom Brady who's going to go in right. and ruin your playoff hopes, no matter how good your team is and i don't see that for the chiefs right now hey okay. clark uh clark 
One other factor, Clark, we haven't mentioned this in terms of the Patriot dynasty, and I don't want to take anything away from Belichick and Brady Clark, but the facts are the facts. For the most part, Clark, over two decades, the rest of that division was bad, was bad. Year in, year out. The Bills, the Jets, bad, Clark. And I think... I think that helped New England uh, to a great extent over the no, years. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I, I want to mention a couple other teams before we go on this. The Green Bay Packers of the 60s, five championships in seven years. Again, pre-salary cap. You look at the number of Hall of Famers on that team, extraordinary. But the one team that I will put above everyone else are the Cleveland Browns of the 1940s and the 50s. Ten straight championship games, seven titles. Now, granted... Four of those years with the All-American Football Conference. Then they joined the NFL in 1950, and people go, oh, wait a second, like the AFL. Okay, wait till they play with the big boys. Well, they did. They played the LA Rams in the championship game of that year, and the Rams were to the NFL then what the Chiefs are now. Could throw the ball all over the lot. You know, um, they had Hirsch, Waterfield. They had great players, Brent Brocklin. And the Browns beat them 30-28 to 28 on a Lou Groza field goal late in the game, considered by some to be maybe the greatest game in NFL history, but it was a good one. They then win three out of the next six years in, in terms of, you know, 50, 51, 52. They just keep going to the championship game. And in 55, this is the thing that I just don't get. And, and, and I want to end it here because I'm getting worked up on this. Otto Graham, 55, he's retiring because of a contract issue. I'm retiring. I'm finished. I'm gone. Paul Brown talked him back into coming. And he talked him back into coming because he gave him the highest paid. He made him the highest paid player in the game, $25,000 a year. So Graham comes back. They lose the opening game to, I think it was Washington. They then go to the championship game. They win 38 to 14. Graham's the MVP of the season, the MVP of the game. Um, Set all sorts of, he was a leading passer and he walks away. He walks away into the wilderness. And the next year, the Browns without autogram, five and seven. And yet when we talk about great quarterbacks, we never, ever mention autogram. 10 straight championship games. He, ha- he has to be listed in the top 10 quarterbacks. He has to. And Clark, uh, I think that's the only tandem coach quarterback that's uh, on a par with Belichick and Brady would be Paul Brown and Otto Green. Yeah, I might put Montana and Walsh in there too. Anyway, uh, that's enough. When you say top 10, he's got to be in the top three or top two for me, but that's for another day. We're going to stop right there and take a break. When we return, we'll sit down with Hall of Fame semifinalist Rondé Barber. This is the eye test for two on Full Press Radio. It's first and goal. That's picked off. That's picked off. And who else? Rondé Barber. All the way. Untouched. Down the field. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers may ride to the Super Bowl with that one. Well, as you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame has a list of 25 semifinalists for the class of 2021. And that's going to be reduced to 15 next month. Frankly, I'll be honest with you, Ira. I'll be surprised if our next guest is not one of those 15. I'm talking about former Tampa Bay cornerback, and I would think inside source for you, Ira, in that Bucks locker room, <laughs> cornerback Rondé Barber, who was, get ready, a Super Bowl champion, a five-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, and who in a 16-year career produced over 1,000 tackles, 47 interceptions, 13 fumble, forced fumbles, and 28 sacks, which, to the best of my knowledge, was, and I think still is, an NFL record for defensive backs, what was when he retired. Ron is also a member of the 2000s All-Decade team, and you know what? We are glad to have him with us today. Rondé, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on being named a semifinalist for the fourth consecutive year. Thanks, Clark. I appreciate being on. You know, you, uh, I have a pretty good advocate uh, with, with your compatriot there, Ira. So, um, you know, one of these days, you know, the numbers are going to speak for themselves. Maybe people will go back and look at the highlight films and, and realize that I did, I did some pretty good things. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Rondé, thanks for doing this. And I'll, I, I want to start with this, Rondé. We talk amongst ourselves. Hey, what's the definition of a Hall of Famer? I mean, it's tough to, uh, you know, to, to really specify it. Rondé, some guys say you can't write the history of football without mentioning this guy. Rondé, other people say um, when other teams uh, do their game plan, they mention this guy specifically. We got to account for him. What are we going to do against this guy? What's the Rondé Barber definition 
of a Hall of Famer? Um, well, when you have a famous twin that plays in the biggest market in the city and you outdo <laughs> his career, I think that makes you a Hall of Famer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? <laughs> Who? What, what's his name? Yeah, you know, Ira, it's, it's always a tough question. I got a, I got a bunch of buddies that obviously are rooting for me every time my name comes up. And uh, they always tell me, look, when I watched you play, um, you always made something happen, whether it was a tackle for loss, whether it was an interception out of nowhere, whether it was picking up a fumble and scoring. You know, a lot of my buddies were like, man, we went to the game expecting you to make a play. Um, and in reality, you know, my, my coaches thought the same thing. And in my seven years after I retired doing TV, um, speaking to a lot of coaches and, and, and ex-peers uh, and guys I played against, they, they really had the same kind of same thought. Um, when they went into a game, they knew that um, somehow or another, I was going to find a way around the ball. So, you know, <laughs> if, if, if you're a guy, I think if you're a guy that impacts a football game um, consistently, it, then yeah, and, and your numbers speak for it, then I think that should qualify you. You know, obviously you talk about, you know, whether or not the history of NFL can be written without you. I would, I would argue, yeah, you know, there was, there was a position, you know, that played that nickel position that really took hold you know, in the early 2000s and what Monty allowed me to do and, you know, I, I was able to do in that defense, you know, we, we sort of redefined it. Um, you know, I, uh, Derek is a great friend of mine. Brooks, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Obviously, we all know that. Essentially, for half the game, I was Derek Brooks. You know, it's why I'm second in, the, uh, in our team annals and tackles. Um, it's why I had so many sacks. And it's really why I had so many impactful plays. I was always around the football. There, uh Rondé, I'm going to ask you about another guy that's a semifinalist and pretty sure he's going to make the final 15, Rondé, is Calvin Johnson. Rondé, uh, you, you tangled with him more than yeah. one occasion. Uh, Rondé, I do my research. He, he played six games against the Bucs. Uh, the last two, you weren't with the Bucs. It was after you. But, you know, he had 36 catches, 616 yards. He averaged 100 yards a game. And that's it. That's it. Rondé, how often did you uh, find yourself – on, uh, on Mr. Johnson and um, what kind of talent are we talking about? Yeah, I, I have so much, you know, respect for him. Obviously, you know, in terms of specimens and athletes that played the position, he, he was number one. I mean, you could put T.O. up there, maybe 1B. Um, but I, I, got a, I got great Calvin stories. I remember we're playing them in Detroit. Oh, man, I can't remember what year it was. It may have been Monty's last year uh, with the Bucks, And, you know, we played a lot of two, but we played a lot of three deep. And every now and then, you know, I get myself in a situation where I got to cover him by myself with no you know, with safety in the middle of the field, but no help otherwise. And um, it was a third and something. And Monty called this 3D blitz coverage. And I was outside and he just do a jump ball. Whoever the quarterback was, just do a jump ball. He goes up, you know, over my five, nine body and yanks it out of, out of the sky. And I'm standing, I land the ball. I, the catch is right next to Monty. I get up, go over to Monty and go, what do you want me to do there? <laughs> there's just there's too many stories like that about Calvin. I mean, obviously, um, the guy didn't play on great football teams. We, we know that. Um, but when you have a guy that affects your game plan, uh, and we, we were pretty basic in what we did on defense, but he was one of the few guys that we had to, we had to change our game plan for. I mean, that speaks to his greatness. Um, and, you know, as, as you just stated, you just ran through his, his numbers against us. It, nothing, nothing worked. He's, he was just that talented of a guy. We're speaking with Rondé Barber on the I Test for Two podcast. And Rondé, when I was rattling off your list of accomplishments, <laughs> I didn't cover all of them. I, mean, I forgot to mention, you also set a lead record for most consecutive starts by a defensive yep. back. That would be 224, including the playoffs. Most consecutive starts by a cornerback would be 209, including the playoffs. You're also the only player in league history with 45 or more interceptions and 25 or more sacks. Yeah. So which of all these accomplishments do you value most and why? Um, I think, honestly, Clark, it's the, you know, I didn't play as a rookie. Uh, I, I played one game and Ira knows this. I only played one game as a rookie. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals just whooped my, uh, my butt. Rob, 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 uh, uh, what was it? Their, uh, their receiver um, uh, for the Cardinals. Uh, yes, he just ran right by me all game. So I didn't play. But from the start of 1998 season uh, until the, my last game in Atlanta in 2012, I, I answered the bell every single, every single game. I didn't miss a game for 15 years. The start streak missed because one game I had a pull quad and I told him I wanted to, wanted to play, but they were going to start Brian Kelly. So 
Um, I think that's it. Just my durability. You know, you know, Rod Marinelli used to always say, you know, there's only one ability that I care, and that's your availability. And, you know, being able to play through injuries and, and still thrive through injuries uh, was one of my one of my hallmarks, really. Um, I, I joke, we, Vinny Testaverde is a member at, my, at this golf club that I'm at. And um, my first interception for a touchdown was against the Jets, and it was against Tim. And so he always jokes, yeah, well, we won the game. I was like, well, I played with a pulled quad that game. So <laughs> you shouldn't have beat me all day, but I, I, I took you to the house. So uh, I, I would say that. I would say just being reliable. Um, uh, the numbers are what they are. You put yourself in a position to make enough plays. The numbers are going to start stacking up. But just being able to answer, answer the bell every single Sunday was, uh, was big for me. To what do you attribute that durability? Yeah, you know what? It's a great question. So um, when I got drafted here, they had just drafted – they drafted Donnie Abraham the year before in the third round. I got drafted in the third round. Well, my year they brought in this guy – Anthony Parker, a good friend of mine, uh, he, he played that first year in 97, and he was starting again in 98. He got hurt. Uh, I think it was like week four, four or five. Ira might know this. And he never saw his job again. And that, that, that was always in the back of my head, just that if I wanted to do my job more than I wanted anybody else to even have the opportunity to do it, just because of that. And it, it may have been a little bit of a fear thing, but it was also – um, uh, something that drove me. Mike, Mike Tomlin used to always joke with me too. He used to go, Rondé, this is the NFL. I'm going to tolerate you till I can replace you. You know, <laughs> like those type of things stick in your head. And I'm like, well, you're, you're going to have a hard ass time replacing me, man. <laughs> Rondé, um, let's talk about the, the cornerback position, uh, yeah. which you excelled at uh, over a long period of time. Rondé, it, it was tough enough in, in 98. And you know that. Yeah. Um, here we are in 2020, Rondé. Every year they tweak the rules. They never tweak them to help the poor little cornerback. They never do it. So, Rondé, what's it, what's it like for these guys out there now? And, and when you watch the position and the way it's played and coached, what strikes you about playing corner in today's game? Yeah, that's, you know, that's another great question, Ari, because it really did evolve. Um, not many guys that look like me coming out of college even have the opportunity to be an outside corner, which, you know, a lot of people try to pigeonhole me into that nickel corner only played inside. I mean, I started outside my entire career and moved inside on those, you know, three wide receiver downs or whatever. But now, um, you know, we drafted a key to leave in, in 2008, I believe. And yeah. he was just different, right? He, he had long arms, high cut, could run. Um, and was more of that, you know, guy needed to match up with you know the the, the evolution of the receiver right one one uh, 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 evolves and then the other one has to evolve so now it's you know if you're a short space quicks guy with you know marginal height um they don't even pencil you in in that position so the 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 the, the actual corner position it had to it had to change and, and it really has you see guys now you know when i when i look across the league it, it's six foot and up you know, with a with a with a guy that can run four four or four three or whatever is the standard now. So um, the fact that the the rules haven't changed, I don't really think it matters. The, what's really changed is the size of the player. Um, I, I think I would have a much more difficult time holding up, you know, balls down the field in today's NFL. It's just it's a down the sideline type of league now. And Rondé, from a technique standpoint, uh, um, and I don't want to get too technical because you'll kill me on the techniques, but <laughs> Rondé, what, what drives fans crazy besides the pass interference calls are the corners that, Rondé, they don't turn around. They yeah. don't turn around, and that's an automatic, that's an automatic flag. And what, what's going on, Rondé, in terms of um, do you watch the ball? Do you watch the quarterback? Basically, what are you trying to do out there? Well, it really depends – kind of how you're playing I'll just, just simplify it and say if you're playing on the line of scrimmage you have to win you have to win at the line of scrimmage so you're in phase so you can so you can turn around and find a ball and in phase I mean that you're even with the receiver when you're behind the receiver you're chasing the only thing you can do is play through his hands now if you're playing off corner which we did a lot of as you know um, you got to read through the quarterback you know whether it's three step five steps a little bit different now because everybody's in gun uh, and then you read the router, the, the initial router receiver. And so for me, it was a lot easier because I had all those route combinations down. You know, if you think about the route tree, there's only nine routes on that route tree. Well, based on the, the, the quarterback's drop, three, five or seven step drop, you, know, you could have started eliminating what plays were coming. So I made a lot of plays with anticipation, just 
understanding what I was going to have to cover. Um, I, I don't think guys now are coached that way. I think it's more, you know, athletes, you know, there's so many zero blitz blitzes pro proliferate the NFL now where you have no help that it's really just go be a better athlete than the guy out there. And, and you know, that's, that's really a 50, 50 proposition these days. So I, I talk to young guys a lot when I'm talking to young corners and I try to get them, you know, to start eliminating routes in their head so they can go make plays. So they go anticipate plays instead of just, Oh, I got to make a great athletic play. No, that's, that's not how I did it. I did it by being an above the neck uh, player and it, you know, it worked out for me. So. We're speaking with Rondé Barber, 2021 hall of fame semifinalist on today's I test for two podcasts and Rondé, I know you watch a lot of football uh, mm -hmm. and just following Ira's question here. I'm making my general manager and tell you to go out and get me the best cornerback in today's game. Who are you taking? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's tough. I man. know it depends on the defense we're playing, yeah. but I'm just, who is the cornerback that you look at today who you say is the platinum bar against which others? Yeah. Last, last year, um, I would have easily said uh, Gilmore in, in, in New England. He just makes so many plays on the football. And, uh, and there, there's, there's too many options, really. But when I watch film, and, I, and it's ironic that you asked me this question because I was watching uh, Miami play this weekend against Kansas City because my, my nephew was in town. He's a huge Miami fan, so we watched the Miami game. Xavier Howard is a stud, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, is, he makes more plays on a football than, than I've seen guys different being in position and making plays and being out of position to make plays. The dude's always in position and he always catches the ball. He had one yesterday or Sunday, I guess. And it was one handed. He was a little bit out of position. I was like, there's no way he should have made that play. Uh, and I knew he was, was a good player, but I didn't realize that he had those kind of ball skills. Um, so for me, he, he's number one. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people won't agree with me. Uh, you know, there's a guy in Baltimore, Rams guy, their guy, yeah. but David Howard is a stud, man. I think he's a little underappreciated because of the team that he plays on. Yeah, I think you're probably referring to Marlon Humphrey and Jalen Ramsey. Yep. The, uh, yep. guys. Um, yep. Another question about a current player. And he's not a corner, he's a safety. Jamal Adams. Yeah. In Seattle. I mentioned that you had more than 45 interceptions, more than 25 sacks. You actually had an NFL record, 28 sacks for uh, defensive backs. Yeah. There's a guy in Seattle, Jamal Adams, who has eight and a half already this season he set the single season record unreal that's i think astonishing but guess what he missed four games this year so he yeah. did it in his ninth game where do you put that record among defensive backs i it, it's up there i mean i know it's it's how he's used he was somewhat used that way of the jets i did yeah. a couple of jets games the past couple of years and you know you know talking to todd bowles when he first had him he's like ronnie i can do anything with this guy anything on the field he can play outside if we if we needed him to he can obviously play in the slot he plays safety he can play down he's obviously a great blitzer because of his size and his energy um to me he's amazing just because of that versatility you know tyron matthew was like that a little bit earlier in his career they're not quite using him the same in kansas city um but to me it's 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 it won't be surpassed i mean i can't imagine a defensive back getting that many opportunities to rush the quarterback but he does and and the best thing about it is he finishes them yeah. I'm, I'm, I was blitzing. If I had a back on me coming across the formation to try to block me, I was like, there's no way this guy's going to block me because I, I got short, short space to get around him. I'm probably quicker than most of the backs. He does it with that, and he just runs through people. Uh, he's, he's unique. He's, he's a unique uh, 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 defensive weapon that I've seen in a very, very long time. Rondé, uh, uh, last two for me, and uh... – I hope in about three weeks, Rondé, I get to call you and tell you that, uh, hey, uh, you're a finalist, and, and I can make the case don't for hope, Rondé. Don't hope that more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rondé, you live in Tampa. You know, you, your heart's with the Bucks. You follow them very closely. Um, Rondé, the eight and five Bucks, eight and five. Um, you know, it's been an up and down season, but Rondé, generally speaking, uh, are they where they need to be uh, heading into uh, the stretch run? Yeah, I think so. The only thing that concerns me, and we've seen it in a couple of games, right? In the New Orleans game, Kansas City game, they, they are notoriously, I mean, terribly slow starters in, in football game on offense and defense. Uh, whatever they do around midway the second quarter, second <laughs> half, or, you know, whether it's, you know, just getting the feel of what the other team's trying to do to them, they, they always put themselves in the game. You know, uh, if, 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 I, if I had one concern about them being contenders, it would be that because you're going to get a team, you're going to play in New Orleans, you're going to be down 28 points in the first half, in the first quarter. You're, there's no way you're winning that football game without just heroics. 
you know, from Tom Brady and his offense. So um, I, I think they're close. Um, I think they have to figure out a way to control the football. Um, and, I, and I really believe Ronald Jones is the way to do that. And that's obviously on Byron and, and, and Coach Arians' uh, um, you know, game plan going into every game. But I, I'm not a big believer in, in throwing a ball every single snap. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big Steelers fan, and I watch them throw the ball 50, 60 times a game. And it's like it's hard to win football games consistent, consistently like that. So I, I think if, if the Bucks are able to really use their strength, which I think their strength is Ronald Jones running the ball, play action pass, I, I think they, they'll give themselves a chance just because it'll, it'll ensure some more possession for them. And, Rondé, last one for me. Speaking of Tom Brady, Rondé, I always talked about you as uh, maybe the smartest uh, football player. Uh, with all due respect to Peyton Manning, and I yeah. always mentioned Manning in the conversation. Rondé, you faced Brady. You faced Manning. You never beat Manning, by the way, Barber. I, I, I hate to mention that to you, but uh, I, I thought including, we did that, uh, <laughs> including that memorable game in uh, 03, which you've tried so hard to forget about. But, Rondé, how would you compare Brady and Manning at their peaks as, as football surgeons? surgeons? Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they were very, they're very similar in that uh, their strength is that they're, they know what you're going to do. There's not very many looks that you can give, could have given either one of them that they, they didn't expect. Uh, I remember we played Pate when he was in Denver. Shiano was the coach that year, that 2012 year. And we're, we're trying our damnedest to disguise everything that we're doing. And he gets to the line of scrimmage, he look, look across the front, and, and he knew right away. He knew what we were doing. Um, so the, 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 the intelligence and then the wherewithal to get his team in the best play, I, I don't know that, it, that Peyton is, is – is, you know, there's no comparable. You know, t Tom is is more of a surgeon. You know, especially in the offenses that he ran in, in New England, just just because he, they created so many good matchups, and Tom knew exactly where those matchups were going to be. Uh, he's he hasn't quite figured that out yet with us because uh, it's a different type of offense. Um, but in terms of knowing what other teams are going to do, I, I I think that's that's what separates those two from really anybody else that I, that I played against. You know, it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I used to. Talk to Eric Mangini a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was with Cleveland and then he was with the Jets as well. But he would say those two quarterbacks distinguish themselves because when they come to the line of scrimmage, they know what you're going to do. And yep. when he was at Cleveland, he said, we will be in certain defenses. And I tell these guys before the snap, switch out of it because he knows what we're going to do. And I don't care how successful we are by halftime. We're changing the whole thing at halftime because he will figure it out in the second half. Um, I got one last one for you. Um, and, and this is this is a PSA for Ira Kaufman, Ronde. Okay. He's going to have to, I think, presumably, <laughs> present John Lynch as a finalist for the eighth consecutive year. Yeah. So you're now in front of Hall of Fame voters, 46 others, not including us. So a group of 48. Yep. How do you tell them that John Lynch belongs in the pro? football hall of fame you haven't put him in for seven straight years you should put him in in 2021 well you talk a lot about um you know judging yourself against your peers and besides the fact that john was the consummate professional uh you know he, he was a headhunter early in his career he had to evolve and he did he was a great leader on our football team he never he never made mistakes um but the but the one thing that is is the respect i mean you don't make that many Pro Bowls, um, um, having that many of your peers across the league look at you play and, and not believe that you're a great football player. You know, his, his stats aren't going to jump out against some of the guys that he played with. You know, my, my interceptions, my sacks, Derek's uh, defensive player of the year, Warren's defensive player of the year, his, his sack record uh, that, he, that he lost here recently. But in, in terms of lining up every single day, showing up to play football, and being a, a physical, intimidating force, there was there was none better. I mean, I know there's there's big big hitters across the history of the league, but the manner in which he did it was was spectacular. It's it's impossible to to quantify the intangibles that John Lynch had, but when you ask anybody that played against him, he was a guy that you had to pick, prepare for. I mean, we had certain defenses where we just Lynch ruled everything because we knew Lynch was better at doing it as a strong safety than our free safety was doing it uh, down in the box. And it was just, it, it was, he was a unique player for us. And, and uh, I, I, it's not lost on me how important he was to, to our championship and, you know, our top 10 defenses, number of top 10 defenses that we had. All right, Clark, can, can I bring up, oh, you just 
just play that audio for the voters, would you please? Mark, can I can I bring Barbara in the room with me? Uh, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> You're going to bring a number of people. We had a, a previous guest. I'm trying to think who it was who talked him up very highly. And Ira said, "Oh, and I know it was it was historian John Turney." I want to bring him in the room with me too because he was very high on on John as well. Um, Ronnie, thanks so much for doing this. You know what? You just made our all interview team for the Hall of Fame for the second straight week. Last week it was Willie Anderson. This week it's you. I- and, like and one of these days, one of these days, we're going to get your brother on here, too, and maybe get him in the room. I'd like to do that. Thank you, Clark. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much. And, and again, good luck uh, in yep. the next couple of weeks. Yep. Thanks, Ronnie. Yep. That was Hall of Fame semifinalist Rondé Barber of the Tampa Bay Bucks. And Ira, you covered him for years. And uh, I, I know how good he was there because I know how good he is now inside the locker room and on the field. You've got a, a tough call if he makes it into the room. And I think you know what I'm going to ask you. You may have to present both John Lynch and Rondy Barber. And at some point, someone, maybe it's Rick Gosden asking the question because he asked it last year when Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce were up. Which one you taking? Who are you taking? I would think it's got to be John Lynch only because he's been there so many times. If we're going to take one buck, it's probably got to be him. But I know you're high in Rondé as well. You think they both belong. Yes, and Clark, if they are both uh, fifth, top 15 finalists, and I, and I hope that's the case, uh, they will have very different cases. Um, yeah, yeah. Rondé stands alone, Clark. Rondé stands alone. Lynch, I think, is more of a team-oriented pitch Which because that was he... the defense of its time, that, that's and correct. he was a big part of it. Yeah, that's correct. Oh, there we go again, Ira. Thank you for our weekly. I was there. Maybe those fans are cheering Rondé. I don't know. He was good. He was really good. But it's your turn, you. Clark. Where, where were you, Clark? Well, where were I, you? Was, I was there in San Diego's Jack Murphy Stadium on September 7th, 1986, for the first game of the season. You're going, okay, well, so what? Well, so the Chargers played the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins were a very, very good team. Chargers, and eh, not so much. But they still had great players. Fouts was there. Joyner was there. Um, Winslow. And Winslow had been coming off the knee injury, so it wasn't quite the same. They had great players. But what made the game so remarkable, Ira? Maybe you remember this. Maybe you don't. But there are two things. One is the Chargers won 50 to 28. It was the most points ever put up on Don Shula's team at that time. At that time. But again, this was Eric Coriel, so they could put up a lot of points. But secondly was a Gary Anderson touchdown, the first touchdown of the game, where he launched himself into a flip into the end zone. And I know it it showed up plenty of times on SportsCenter that night. People may not remember him. Uh, They go, Gary Anderson, oh yeah, he was a kicker. No, not that Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson, the running back for the University of Arkansas, first round draft pick in 1983 for the Chargers. They had three. He didn't go to the Chargers. He went to the USFL. I think the gamblers drafted him. He got traded to the Bucs, Argovitz goes to Gamma's really convoluted thing. Anyway, played for the Tampa Bay Bandits right. in 1983, and I think um, uh, 80 to 85. I don't know if you covered him, but he was with the Bandits, the USFL. Yes, uh, in 85, he was with the Bandits and very effective, and oh. Steve Spurrier was the coach. Yeah, and, and he was electric. I mean, when I first saw him, I went, this is the best thing I've seen since Gale Sayers. His speed, the way he could cut, the plays he could make. And then he gets to the Chargers, and I think one of the first plays he made was return to kickoff, 98 yards for a touchdown. He could do anything. Anyway, going back to this game. We're going back to this game. September of 1986, um, swing pass from Fouts just inside the Miami 20. I will recommend to you and any of our listeners, look at it on YouTube. He catches it just inside the 20, runs down the right sidelines, and all of a sudden there are two or three Dolphins who engage him. At about the five, he launches himself into the air at the four, and just goes flying into the end zone, three yards deep in the end zone, but tucks the ball into his chest and does a somersault, flips into the end zone. Next day, we had a great color picture on the front of the San Diego Evening Tribune that was sensational. It was one of the most electric, memorable, fascinating touchdowns I can ever remember. And I remember talking to Lionel James afterwards, and he was a a terrific running back for the, the Chargers, a little guy, but a great running back. He said, I thought I was watching Superman. So did I. He could fly. He could fly. Clark, anyway. my advice is, uh, Clark, don't don't try that yourself, Clark. Don't, don't try, try that it. itself. Do not try that at home. But, you know, fun, it's funny. We thought we were looking at something special. Everyone said they beat the Dolphins, put 50 on them. This is going to be the year. And you know what, Ira? It was, unfortunately, for the wrong reasons. The Chargers lost their next seven games. 
Don Coriel got fired. They say he resigned. He said later, years later, I didn't resign. They forced me out. I was fired. Anyway, he was he was fired and and they were never the same. But uh, Gary Anderson wasn't either. But I don't know if you'd remember that or not. But it was terrific. Anyway, our, um, that'll do it for today. Any any final thoughts? Uh, just a quick one, Clark. I got to talk to uh, Commissioner Goodell the other day on, on a conference call. And uh, what, what is that good news or bad clear? news? Good news or bad uh, news? What, <laughs> Clark, what became clear uh, on the call, and he was talking about the Super Bowl in, in Tampa, um, yep. February 7th, is, um, Clark, it'll be a Super Bowl week uh, unlike any other. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of things have been canceled uh, and will be canceled. And it's a week by week basis about what they're going to allow. And Clark, Tampa finally gets another Super Bowl since that 08, you know, that great game with the Steelers and the Cardinals. I mean, one of the great Super yeah, Bowls. It was, a, it was great. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and it's going to be a very subdued Super Bowl. But, Clark, at least we're going to have the game, um, and, and, and it'll be an exciting game. Okay. Well, I, I hope so. And, and I look forward to it. I don't know when it's going to be played. I never thought it'd be played on that date, but it looks like it might be. Um, speaking of dates, I will say on this day – in 1998, December 13th, another Gary Anderson, since I'm on that subject, I figure I'll hammer the name, the kicker, <laughs> Gary Anderson, was playing for Minnesota then. And on this date, he kicked six field goals, six, to propel the Vikings to a 38-28 victory over the Baltimore Ravens. But more important, Ira, more important, since we're history mavens here, he set a league record with his 36th straight field goal, a mark that he extended to 40 before his first miss. Do you remember his first miss that year? Don't tell me it came in a famous playoff game. In the championship oh, game. In the championship oh, game. He missed it, and that went to overtime, as you know, and the Falcons won it. Anyway, that's going to do it. Ira, uh, tell people where can they, they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76. And Clark, bundle up for that snowstorm, baby. <laughs> I'm getting there. Ian, you're not bundled up. Where, they can, where can they find you? <laughs> no, they can find me on the beach and on Twitter, at IGLEN31. <laughs> You can find me deep in the snowbanks <laughs> shoveling on Twitter at, at Clark Judge, T-O-A-T-O-F. Uh, if we don't hear from you, then you know what? You're going to hear from us, well, right here next week on the iTest for Two on FullPressRadio.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>